Take your Bible and turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. Would you do that? 1 Kings chapter 17. You know, there are many common themes in Scripture, and here is one that absolutely permeates the entire Word of God. You ready for this? And by the way, if you have something to take notes on, I hope you will. Here is the theme that runs constantly through Scripture. God is much more concerned with your character than your comfort. Have you learned that? God is much more concerned with your character than he is with your comfort. Now, unfortunately, we are much more concerned about our comfort than our character because there is another theme throughout Scripture as well. Our nature, our human nature, resists almost every circumstance that God uses to accomplish the purpose of building our character. So we have this constant struggle between God's plan and our resistance. Most of you know this, this isn't news, but my friend, you will be tried, you will be tested, If you are a child of God, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, you will go through fire. You'll go through times of testing. That's why 1 Peter 4.12 says, Hey, don't think it's strange when you go through fiery trials because these are common. There's so many jokes about 2020, how unusual, how unique it is, or it has been, how difficult, and it is hard. It has been an extremely difficult year, but my friend, what we here in America have experienced this year is unusual to us, but to much of the world, this kind of thing is common, and to Christians around the world, who suffer for their faith and are persecuted for their faith, they would be glad to take a little pandemic rather than what they have been experiencing. Many of you know that there is more persecution of Christians in the world today than at any other time in the 2,000-year history of the church. So these are trying times. But you know what? you will spend a great deal of time in valleys. We love to live on the mountaintops. I mean, who doesn't like to visit the mountains? But have you ever noticed most everything worthwhile grows in the valley? Very little grows on the mountaintop. In fact, if you go high enough, you go past what they call the tree line. And after you get that high, it's beautiful, it's breathtaking, but... Nothing grows. And because of that, God often brings us to valley experiences so that we can grow and we can mature. This morning, I want to speak to you. I started to say briefly, but that would be a lie. This morning, I want to speak to you about blessings from the bottom of the barrel. Blessings from the bottom of the barrel. I'll draw your attention to 1 Kings chapter 17, and we're going to read down through verse 16. Give me just a few minutes to read from God's Word. And Elijah the Tishpite, 
who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called unto her and said, Up, up, bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal and a barrel and a a little oil and a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but... Make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Oh God, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of thy law. Meet us where we are this morning. Speak to us, Father, to each person listening. I pray that you would bring this message to their heart, their mind, in exactly the way they need to receive it. And we'll pray it in the precious and wonderful name of Jesus. So, here in 1 Kings chapter 17, God uses Elijah to pronounce God's judgment upon his rebellious people. He brings a tremendous drought. And because of that, Ahab the king, and you remember his wife, Jezebel? Ahab and Jezebel want him dead. And this begins a time of trial and testing for Elijah and this widow woman that we're going to meet in just a few moments. But I want you to know something before we go any further. Elijah is God's man. The hand of God is clearly upon him. And get this, please. 
It is because of God's hand upon Elijah, not in spite of. It is because of Elijah's obedience that he is in great need. We often think that if we serve God, if we honor God, if we obey God, if we do everything right, then we'll have an easy life. We won't struggle, we won't have trials, we won't have troubles, but I want you to know Elijah was right in the middle of God's will. He's serving God, honoring God, and he finds himself in a time of great need. We often, we often misunderstand when we come to a time of great need. We often conclude wrongfully that because we're in need, God is punishing us. God is chastising us. But please understand this. Please understand this. Every experience that you and I go through in our life has the purpose of building our character and giving God glory. Building our character and giving God glory. Now, Let's get to the blessings at the bottom of the barrel. Here's the first point I want you to see if you're taking notes. Here it is. God uses need to draw us to himself. Got that? God uses need to draw us to himself. Look again at verses 1 through 7 quickly. Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. It shall be, thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the book, Jareth, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up. After all, he was the one that commanded or announced the judgment of God and the drought. And guess what? He experienced the drought as well. After a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. So first, let's look at the need of Elijah. He is driven to this brook, and God says, the ravens will feed you. Well, that's a problem, because Elijah is a Jewish prophet of God living by the law, and ravens were unclean. But he accepted it as provision from God. My friend, you'll see this throughout this message. God hardly ever meets our needs in the way that we expect. God hardly ever meets our needs in the ways that we desire, in the way that we want. So he goes to the brook Cherith. There's the water. He drinks. And he sits back and says, now, I wonder where the ravens are going to come from. And soon... Here comes the ravens, they bring him food. I'm not sure what kind of food. They brought him pizza, stromboli, whatever, you know. They brought him the food, and he thought, this is cool. Birds in the morning, birds in the evening, birds at supper time. 
and he's got everything he needs. Everything is cool, and then the brook dries up. And God says, well, I'm not finished. Now I want you to go to Zarephath. Now to us, that doesn't mean much, but to Elijah, that meant a lot. What do we know about Zarephath? Well, first, it was in Gentile territory. And the Gentiles were not really excited about the Jews traveling through their land. So he's going into enemy territory. Not only that, Zarephath was the homeland of Jezebel. And Jezebel wants him dead. And not only that, it's approximately a hundred miles away. Now you would think that God could have thought of something much more easy. Somewhere close in familiar territory. But as I said, God hardly ever meets our needs, comes to us in the ways that we expect. But Elijah knew something else. The name Zarephath literally means a smelting furnace or a refining place. So God tells Elijah, I want you to go to a hundred miles away to enemy territory, to a place that is known for refining and testing. And that's why I wanted you to know at the very beginning of this message that it's very clear through Scripture that times of testing, times of trial are not unique. They are not unusual for the child of God. They are common. And God sends him to a widow in the midst of a drought. Well, that's the need of Elijah, and that's the need that God is going to use to draw him to himself. But then there's the widow. Now, this widow is poorer than poor. She has literally reached the bottom of the barrel, and she is ready to die. She has nothing left. She has lost hope. She has assumed that her life on this earth and her son are over and they are going to die. So here are two individuals that God supernaturally crosses their path. But in both of their cases, their need is not a sign of displeasure. But they both desperately need God. Here's the second thing I want you to see. The second point in the outline. God uses need to reveal himself. God uses need, trial, tragedy, testing, sickness, death. God uses need to reveal himself. Two desperate people, think of this, who needed what the other had. She needed a word from God. And God sent her a prophet. He needed to eat. And he provides a poor widow. Again, pardon the repetition, but it's intentional. God hardly ever provides in expected ways. 
Both were obeying God, yet both were in great need. And let me say once again, your need does not mean God has not abandoned you. So often when we find ourselves in need in our family, in our finances, in our health, it's so easy for us in our humanness to assume and to conclude that God has abandoned us. Have you ever come to a place in your life where you said, God, where are you? God, where are you? Where are you, God? I would imagine that every one of you have been in that circumstance once, twice, maybe many times. And you know what? If you haven't, I promise you on the authority of the Word of God that you will come to that place where the circumstances are so overwhelming, the valley is so dark and it's so deep that you just assume that God has abandoned you. But my friend, He has not abandoned you. He is drawing you to Himself and He is getting ready to reveal to you His wonderful, wonderful grace. Which brings me to the third point. God uses need to test our faith and our priorities. God uses need to test our faith and our priorities. Back to the text. Look at verse 4. It shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook that I have commanded the ravens to feed thee. Well, that's cool. That's great. That's miraculous. But then the brook dries up. Isn't it interesting how as we go through our lives, we go through hilltops and valleys and hill. Listen, folks, the Christian life is like riding a roller coaster. We have times of great blessings and we have times of great need. And it's all part of that process where God is building our character. God is revealing himself to us. And where God is stripping away everything else and everyone else that we put our faith and trust in. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? God uses these times to strip away everything and everyone that we put our faith and trust in. So the brook dries up and God says, all right, go to Zarephath. Oh God, really? Zarephath? That's so far away, and that's enemy territory, and that's the homeland of Jezebel. And I know what the name of the place means. It means refining. It means fire. All right, God, I'll go. And then God says, I have prepared a widow there to sustain you. And Elijah must thought, oh, a wealthy widow. That's great. That's cool. I'm going to meet a wealthy widow. And then verses 11 and 12. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, 
but a handful of meal and a barrel and a little oil and a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah must have thought, uh, excuse me, God, uh, are you there? You said you were raising up a widow to sustain me. Uh, did we get the wrong address, God? Is there another widow I should look for? This woman is poor. She's about to die. God, what is the matter? God. Do you ever have conversations with God like that? I can only imagine what went through his mind and his heart. He's expecting this widow to take care of him and she is poorer than poor and ready to die. God will often, listen to me, God will often bring us to utter despair and doubt. Now, I began preaching when I was 16 years old. I began preaching at a Skid Row mission in downtown Los Angeles on Fifth Avenue, and I began preaching there. So I've been preaching since I was 16, so that's at least 20 years, you know. I've been preaching a long time. And you know, when I first began preaching when I was 16, I could have preached this message theologically and in theory. But I could not have preached it from experience. Fast forward to December 27th, 2020. And I can assure you, my brothers and my sisters, I am not preaching it to you just theologically or in theory, but from experience. God will often, often bring us to a point of utter despair and doubt so that he can reveal his presence and his glory in our lives. You ever heard the phrase, scrape the bottom of the barrel? Here is what Webster's Dictionary says about bottom of the barrel. Listen to this. This is Webster's Dictionary. The lowest possible condition. The lowest possible condition. And preparing for this message, I did a little bit of research and I found out that psychologists actually have what they call the bottom of the barrel syndrome. Never heard of that. Never heard of that. The bottom of the barrel syndrome. What is the bottom of the barrel syndrome? It is when an individual reaches the absolute end. It's when an individual is filled with complete and total despair and they have lost all hope. The psychologists call that the bottom of the barrel syndrome. Well, it is at the bottom of the barrel that God tests our faith. Do we really believe that my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus? Do we really believe that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose? 
Do we really believe? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Do we really believe my God shall guide thee continually? Do we really, really believe the promises of God? It is at the bottom of the barrel that God tests our faith, but it is also at the bottom of the barrel that God tests our priorities. This story in 1 Kings 17 takes a fascinating twist in verses 12 and 13. She, the widow, says, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal and a barrel and a little oil and a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. Now you would think at that point that the man of God... The preacher, the prophet would say, oh my goodness, I am so sorry. There is no way that I'm going to take your last cake of flour. Here, uh, I'll try to help you. I'll, uh, I'll, 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 uh, I'll, try to, I'll try to find you some food. Why, what preacher would take a poor widow who is going to die and take her last little piece of bread? And yet in verse 13 it says, And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. What? What? Give me first? But you see, this introduces another biblical principle that permeates Scripture, and I want you to write it down. You ready? Here it is. Here's the principle in Scripture. If you want to keep it, give it away. Oh, it's a principle all over Scripture. If you want to keep it, give it away. Probably the most glaring illustration is Abraham and Isaac. God, after 25 years, gives Abraham and Sarah this miraculous child, and he was a miracle. And the future of the nation of Israel, and in fact, the future of humanity, was dependent upon that miraculous boy. And yet God says, take your son, your only son, and go to a place that I will show you in Genesis 22 and offer him for a burnt sacrifice, which meant slit his throat, kill him, and burn him on an altar. If you want to keep it, give it away. And Abraham gave that child away, and God allowed him to keep him. You see, God will test our priorities God will test whether he is first. Because you see, God wants us to love our wives and our husbands and our family, our children, our grandchildren. But he makes it very clear that no one, nothing can come before him. Sometimes God will test our priorities with our job. Do we love our job more than God? Do we love our money more than God? Or in this time of pandemic and COVID, do we love our health 
more than we love God. God will test our priorities, and because of that, you will find yourself at the bottom of the barrel with family and finances and health. And I know, I know we're just online here, but I know I am speaking to people right now who are at the bottom of the barrel. You're financially bankrupt. You're facing family situations that you never thought that you would. A rebellious son, a rebellious daughter. Maybe someone you love is very, very sick. Maybe you've just lost someone. Joy and I are amazed at how many close friends have passed away just in the last three months. I don't believe we've ever, in all of our years of marriage, had so many close friends pass away in such a short period of time. Some with COVID, some not. A lot of people spent the very first Christmas without someone they loved dearly. And you're at the bottom of the barrel. But when you are at the bottom of the barrel, God has a word. God has a word. If you've ever had a big barrel, you know that if you stick your head down in the barrel and look in it, and if you say something, there's kind of an echo in the barrel. Listen to me. If you look at the bottom of your barrel right now, Listen, listen, down in the bottom, there in the very bottom of the barrel, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, in the bottom of the barrel. Look, please, at verse 13. And Elijah said unto her, fear not, fear not. She's ready to die. She has come to the end. There is no hope. There is no tomorrow. And yet the man of God says, fear not. You see, fear will cripple you. Fear will destroy you. Fear will take away your joy and your peace. Fear will break your heart. Fear will break your spirit. And yet here at the bottom of the barrel, God through his prophet says, fear not. But wait, like the commercials at two o'clock in the morning, there's more. But wait, there's more. Back to verse 13, and Elijah said unto her, fear not, go and do. If you're writing down, if you're taking notes, write this down, please. God's provision is dependent upon our obedience and faith. Got that? God's provision is dependent upon our obedience and faith. That is found all through Scripture. Children of Israel come up to the Jordan River after wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. And Joshua says, we're going across. And the priests lead the way. And they come to the edge of the river. And it's flood time. There's no way they can get across the river. 
And God says, put your foot in. Well, Lord, it'd be a lot easier if we could just wait here and you part it. And then, no, 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 put your foot in. But, but God, the, the water is deep and it's running. Put your foot in. And the word of God says the minute they put their foot in the water, the water parted. They could have stood there for days, weeks, and months, one-eighth of an inch from the water, fearful. But when they put their foot in, when they obeyed God, the river parted. Jericho, God indeed supernaturally and miraculously knocked down those walls, but they had to march just as God told them to. God's provision is dependent upon our obedience and our faith. So I love this. Verse 13, fear not, go and do. Jump down to verse 15. She went and did. Don't you love that? Go and do. She went and did. She was obedient. She obeyed God. I have no idea what God is telling you to do. I don't know how God is testing you. I don't know what the bottom of your barrel looks like. I have no clue. But I do know this. God has not abandoned you. God has not forsaken you. God has not forgotten you. He wants to draw you to himself. You can either run from God or you can run to him. God wants to reveal himself to you. Maybe God has taken away some of that stuff and some of your comfort so that you can get to know him personally. And maybe God is testing your faith and your priorities. But that brings us to verse 16. And I'm finished. Verse 16. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. And here's the last point. God uses need to validate his word and bring glory to himself. God uses need to validate his word and to bring glory to himself. At the bottom of the barrel, there is hope. At the bottom of the barrel, fear not. At the bottom of the barrel, Trust the God of the universe and know that he knows what he's doing and he has promised somehow, some way, in an unusual, unique, maybe miraculous way. He has promised to meet your need. The story is told of a man lost in the desert. He is thirsty. He is about to perish from thirst and on the horizon he sees a shack 
And he thinks it might be a mirage, but he rushes toward it anyway. And when he gets to the shack, he opens the door. And to his great delight, there's a pump. There's a water pump in the middle of the desert. And above the pump, there is a bottle full of water. And he reaches for the bottle of water to gulp it down, but then he sees a sign. And the sign says, Use the entire bottle to prime the pump. And then please leave a full bottle for the next traveler. He has a very difficult decision to make. What if the pump doesn't work? What if there's not enough water in the bottle to prime it? What if he pours all that water in to prime the pump and it's gone? Or I can just drink that water that I need so desperately. And he thinks about it for a time. And he thinks of others. And so he takes the bottle, he pours it into the pump, and he begins pumping like crazy. And in just a few seconds, water is flowing from the pump. He drinks his fill and then fills the bottle, puts it on the shelf for the next traveler. There's a custom that was evident in Bible lands when you you reached a place or an oasis and you would find a well or whatever, often the sand would cover that well when the wind would blow. But when you found the well, you would uncover it and you would do everything you could to prepare the pump for the next person by. When we experience the bottom of the barrel, I believe that God wants us to leave a well in the valley. I believe that when we experience our bottom of the barrel, we use God's provision when He does answer to share our story and our testimony with others. If I had time, my friend, I could tell you story after story of 51 years of marriage where God has brought my wife and I and our family through one valley after another and a whole lot of bottom of the barrel experiences. And I stand here before you today saying, God is faithful. And at the bottom of the barrel, there is hope. Fear not. What are the lessons from the bottom of the barrel? We look at the grace of it. Because of faith and obedience, they lived. Think about this. That drought was all around them. And people were dying everywhere. But because of their faith and obedience, they lived. The grace of it. But then there is the greatness of it. For years Until the rain came, it was always there. Always there. 
And then finally, the glory of it. If you read the text clearly, it said, God would provide just enough every single day until the drought ended. There's no indication at all that God miraculously filled the cruise of oil to overflowing. It doesn't say that. Or filled the barrel of flour to overflowing. It doesn't say that. It just says that it never ran out. So for at least three years, every single day, Elijah the prophet, that widow and her son, would come to the cruise of oil and the barrel. Yesterday, they used it all. It was all gone. And then they came the next day, and there was enough to sustain them for another day. So for three years, every day, they were reminded it was God who provided their needs. At the bottom of the barrel, there is hope. God will take care of you. At the bottom of the barrel, fear not.